0: Every now and then uh, I get asked the question, so Randy, what is the vision of Windsor Road Christian Church? You you just heard it. And you just seen it. This is our vision. This is what we mean when you hear us talk about being a life changing community, passionately pursuing Christ. And you've just heard about life change. And and Jesus wants this church family to be about the ministry where this kind of radical life change can occur. And that can only come by means of mercy, by the mercy of God, where by his mercy we become a First Timothy chapter 1 kind of church, the kind of church that the apostle Paul spoke of when he gave his own faith story, when he himself said, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy so that uh, because I acted in ignorance and unbelief, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And then as if to reiterate his point, Paul says, look, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. I mean, you can take this to the bank. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And he was, Paul had been a Christian for decades when he makes this statement. And then he says, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy. Twice, he reiterates, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Life change happens because of the mercy of God. And what that means is that this church needs to be about the business of making sure people understand that there are no lost causes. Can people who feel like they're lost causes can can those who feel like that they're the worst sinners, those who feel like their past is nothing but blasphemy and violence, can we be a church that welcomes them? Can can they find mercy here in this place among this spiritual community? Can they? Let me put it this way. Are gay people welcome here? There's a very simple answer to that question. The answer is yes. It's a one-word answer. Not yes, if, or yes, but, or yes, when, but yes. Yes, gay people are welcome here. If you have a hard time with that, if you have a hard time with that, then you better think about this. Are gossips welcome at our church? Are people who've had abortions welcome at our church? Are alcoholics welcome here? Workaholics? Yes. What about liars? Yes. What about people who envy their neighbors' houses or jobs or vacations? Are they welcome at our church? Yes. Are people who lust, are they welcome here at Windsor Road? Yes. Are pastors who argue with their wives or yell at their sons or forget to pray, are they welcome at our church? I hope so. (laughs) The only people who are not welcome here at Windsor Road are perfect people because they don't exist. They don't exist. And mercy means everyone's welcome. Mercy means we look beyond the mud of people's faults and we see the masterpiece of God's creation in them. We see their need. And yes, the Bible is very clear that lust and envy and lying and gossip and sexual relations of whatever kind outside the male-female marital union, those fall short of God's glory And when we do what we want to do instead of what God wants us to do, that will always lead to hurt and disappointment and heartache. But there is only one person who can deal with the mud. And there's only one person who can deal with the worst. And there's only one person who can wash away our sins, and that is Jesus. And so, the one who is rich in mercy declares in Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And and today I want us to talk about that. I want us to talk about the two faces of mercy here. First, the face of compassion, mercy has the face of compassion, and then mercy has the face of forgiveness. Let's talk about compassion first. Compassion. Mercy is compassion in action, isn't it? Mercy is is the undeserved display of compassion for those in need. I'm thinking about the story that Charles Coulson tells from Iraq about A U.S. triage facility trying to save the lives of two Iraqi insurgents. This team had done everything possible to save uh, the lives of the insurgents, but one of them was not going to make it without 30 pints of blood. And so the call went out, and within minutes... Dozens of American soldiers had lined up to donate blood. And at the head of the line was a battle-hardened soldier named Brian. And when a reporter asked if it mattered to him that he was giving blood to an enemy soldier, Brian simply replied, a human life is a human life. Now that's mercy. That's mercy. That's the face of compassion. Unexpected kindness toward undeserving people. What about the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10? Mercy is the Good Samaritan letting himself be interrupted by a half-dead Hebrew on a dangerous road and then pouring oil on his wounds and then caring for the physical hurts at his own expense and then paying the hotel bill while the guy recovered. Don't miss what mercy looks like in Luke chapter 10, verses 33 and 34. Mercy sees the need. Verse 33, he saw him. Mercy feels the hurt. He had compassion on him. Mercy then takes action. You see, it's not enough for mercy to simply feel for the individual. There's gotta be action. And that's what the Samaritan did. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Incidentally, uh, the New Testament comes to us by way of the Greek language, and in the Greek language, the words Mercy and oil come from the same word family. And mercy does this to an enemy. See, that's the point of the phrase, but a Samaritan, a half-breed Hebrew with a warped religious tradition, that's the Samaritan, stops to help a Hebrew whose people group hates him. See, that's mercy. Mercy shows love whether the hurt is curable or not, whether the wrong can be righted or not. Mercy sits quietly with the one in need of mercy. You remember in the Old Testament book of Job? While Job was suffering, his three friends came to him, and actually they were models of mercy for seven days. And then they opened their mouths. Then they started pontificating theologically in front of Job about Job's presumed causes of suffering. (laughs) Mercy doesn't need to do that. Mercy doesn't need to ask, what were you thinking? Why'd you do this? How could you be so stupid? Mercy doesn't need to ask that. Mercy doesn't demand an explanation of what went wrong. Mercy listens. Mercy gets into the other person's skin, and mercy lets the tears of others soak their own shoulder. That's mercy, the face of compassion. Mercy is not what happened last year at this time in China. In China, a disturbed man with deep financial debt stood on the edge of a bridge, almost 30 feet up, contemplating Suicide, And because of him, the police had uh, closed the bridge, traffic was stopped for five hours, and people stood there at the roadblocks trying to figure out what was gonna happen, what this guy was gonna do. And suddenly, a 66-year-old man kind of pushed his way through the crowd, offered the police his assistance, and they let this 66-year-old walk up to the very top of the bridge where this suicidal man was. And this 66-year-old man came up to this suicidal person. He reached out, and he shook the hand of the troubled man, and then he pushed him off the bridge. And he later explained why. He said, I pushed him off because jumpers like him are very selfish. Their actions violate a lot of public interest. They don't really want to kill themselves. They just want attention. Well, fortunately, there was an inflatable emergency cushion beneath the bridge, and the guy was injured but not killed. But mercy would never push troubled people off bridges, ever. Mercy has the face of compassion, the face of love, the face of, of, um, of unexpected kindness to undeserving people. And so important is the nurturing and the intentionality of mercy acts in our congregation that we have, we have a team whose sole responsibility is to, is to be the face of compassionate mercy. And it's our deacon team. And I want you to meet them uh, because we're gonna pray over them and some new members of that team this morning. Uh, Deacons, when I call your names, just come forward. Steve Towner, Dave Maria, Jim Evans, Brian Eichelberger, Chuck Higgins. And then um, the new members of this team, Brett Johnson, Chris Foreman, and Jack Wetzel. And then our elder liaison with this team is Carl Weigel. Carl Weigel. Uh, It is the sole responsibility of this ministry team uh, to assist in the practical mercy needs of the congregation. And that looks like praying for church members, hospital visitation, bereavement, caring for the poor, the needy, the suffering. Uh, Based on the model of Acts 6 and the appointing of the 7, the New Testament deacon's primary responsibility is about managing relief efforts for the church's suffering members, and that includes the sick, the hurting, the jobless, the homeless, the grieving, those in prison. And I'll uh, I will boast in the Lord over this team. Uh, just uh, recently, I received uh, a thank you God card because this team helped uh, uh, one of our uh, one of our families in church who was in need. Uh, uh, they helped this family uh, to the tune of. The value of the the ministry that they performed saved this family $7,000 that otherwise the family would just not, could not have been able to afford it otherwise, except God through this team meeting needs with love. And so, Deacon Ministry Team, you've been selected from among the members of this church to serve them and to lead them in service. Have you prayerfully considered the privileges and responsibilities that will be yours through your service as a deacon team? If so, say we have. have. And are you willing to accept this ministry and commit yourself to be servants, to help the congregation of Christ in need, to be a minister of mercy and to serve as examples as a deacon ministry team? If so, say we are. And will you seek the help of God through prayer and the study of his word so that your ministry, so that Christ's ministry through you will bring him glory? Jesus Christ, if so, say we will. will. I'd like our elders to come and let's just have a time of prayer and setting apart for this meek deacon ministry team. Gracious Heavenly Father, your mercies are new every morning. Every morning, your mercies are new. You never give us day old mercy, they were fresh this morning. And thank you that we are able to be nourished by your daily mercies through this deacon ministry team whose um, sole purpose is to make much of you. God, thank you for this privilege. And I pray that more and more may fall in love with you more and more through the ministry of such godly believers here. Thank you in Christ's name, Amen. Amen. Thank you, brothers. Some of you may be wondering, well, how you know? Um, how does this work in terms of uh, receiving ministry from our deacon team? And here's how it works. You call the church office, okay, and then the church office calls Steve Towner. Steve, raise your hand, <laughs> and he's, uh, he's the ministry team leader of our deacon team. Or you send me an email, randy at windsorroad.org, okay, and I forward that email to Steve. That is pretty streamlined. That's how it works. Thank you, brother. Mercy, the face of compassion. Well, I said there I was going to tell you about another face, of mercy, and I wanna talk about this, and it's the face of forgiveness. The face of forgiveness. You know, we all, we've already established that there's no perfect people here. <laughs> we've already established that, that, you know, no one is so perfect, no one is so free from sin, no one is so well supplied that they can do without merciful forgiveness. You know, the soldier needs mercy when before the soldier's king and the king needs mercy when before the king's surgeon. And the student needs mercy before the teacher. And the teacher needs mercy before the principal. And the principal needs mercy before the superintendent. And the superintendent needs mercy before the school board. And the school board needs mercy when before the unhappy parents and taxpayers. The question is not who needs mercy, the question is how soon, how often, how much. And yet what deafens us to the healing voice of mercy are the, are the conditional and unmerciful voices of our world. The voices which say, I will love you if. If you are pretty, if you are smart, if you are rich, If you have the right degree from the right school, working the right job with the right connections, I will love you if you generate much, sell much, buy much. There are endless ifs to the world's brutal conditional love. And the tragedy, the tragedy is, on the one hand, there is tragedy in failing to meet these ifs because we pile on more and more needless guilt on ourselves. But I'll tell you what a real tragedy is. The tragedy comes as if we attain that because then once we attain it, we feel like we're entitled. And for years, our country has been telling us how entitled we are. Billboards in our cities say to every one of us, well, you deserve the best mattress. You deserve the most exotic vacation, that nicest car, that luxury. And people who don't even know us tell us Tell us what we're entitled to. And in doing so, they drive mercy away from our lives. Because mercy is never about entitlement. It's always about desperation. And because we've never learned to receive mercy, we never learn to give it. Because you can only give what you've received. But give it we must In his book, Life's Healing Choices, John Baker calls this the relationship choice. Relationships are at stake when we are talking about mercy. John Baker says this means to offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me and make amends for harm I've done to others, except when to do so would harm them or others. So you see, there's a pouring out of forgiveness there's a, there's a pouring out, mercy and oil, there's the pouring out of this flask of healing oil, and it's when I unscrew the lid on what is precious to me and I pour it out to you. And it's, it's the expensive perfume worth a year's wages which when poured out fills the room with fragrance. You see, forgiveness is always expensive. It's, it's always expensive to someone. You know, you ruined my computer or you wrecked my car. You know, you can either pay the debt that incurs or I can forgive it. And if I forgive it, I absorb it. But the offense just doesn't vanish in midair. It has to be paid for. And mercy offers to pick up the tab. Mercy says, I'm going to let go of my right to hurt you back. I'm going to let go of my desire to see you hurt. I'm going to let go of my real or imagined plan to get even. Mercy says to the offender, you don't owe me. You don't owe me. Though this offense might never be put right in the way that I want, I'm releasing you from the obligation I feel is owed me. I'm not going to use it against you. I'm not going to keep a record against you. And you might say, but Randy, how do you forget a divorce or being abused or being abandoned or being molested? How do you forget that? And the truth is, you, 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 you don't. You probably never will forget these things that are so horrific that they have they've been burned into your memory. Deep violations, personal wounds. You probably won't forget it, but you can forgive it. You can. You can heal from the offense to the degree that you are able to mercifully refrain from being paralyzed by the past. You can heal to the degree that that the hurt no longer has its claws in you, that it no longer controls you. You can heal to the degree that you that you can wake up in the morning and that's not the first thing you think about. Hmm? Or you can heal to the degree that, you know, you go to the end of the day and then suddenly it dawns on you. I didn't think about that hurt. I didn't think about that pain. And sometimes it's not possible or advisable for a face-to-face meeting with the offender for several reasons. It may be death. It may be sheer distance. It, it may be physically harmful to see or speak to that person again. And so you need a proxy. You need a proxy. And perhaps perhaps your proxy is a detailed letter that you write, that contains the hurt you experienced, a letter that you write, but a letter that you don't send. And and I've done that. (laughs) I've done that. I've written letters uh, that I haven't sent. Uh, (laughs) And I've written letters, um, I've written letters to people where in those letters, I've just asked them to leave the church. I didn't send the letter. But I got it, I got it out on that proxy, see? And then after I wrote it, I tore it up and threw it away. Because I was just so mad. Yeah. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe it's an empty chair that you need to talk to. Or a trusted friend. Or a skilled counselor. Or one of the elders. Hmm. Some of you work in law enforcement. And you're wondering, how does this work? You know, can a Christian be merciful and be a law enforcement officer who makes arrests and writes tickets and files charges for criminal acts like drunk driving and child abuse instead of just dropping the charges? I mean... How does that work? Can can a Christian be merciful and be an employer who pays good wages for excellent work, but then sometimes has the gut-wrenching task of terminating the employment of others? What about a parent in terms of disciplining children? And what about an elder who enforces church discipline on a church member who is stubbornly divisive? How does all this work? Well, understand that the context of Matthew 5, verse 7, is the context of interpersonal relationships, And the truth is that until the new heavens and the new earth, until Jesus comes again, there will be a mingling of mercy and justice in all of these spheres. And God's will is that sometimes we will compensate people with what they deserve, whether punishment or reward, and you call that justice. And sometimes we compensate people with better than what they deserve, and we call that mercy. And when we show justice, we testify to the truth that the God we worship is indeed a God of justice. And when we show mercy, we testify to the truth that God is indeed a God of mercy. And and you may ask, well, how, how do we know when to do justice and when to show mercy in a particular situation? What's the formula? Here's the formula. The formula is this. Get as close to Jesus as you can and plead for wisdom that's The formula. It's it's no accident in the Bible that there's no airtight formula to dictate every scenario. The Bible is about producing a certain kind of heart, a certain kind of person, a certain kind of disciple. Not providing an exhaustive list of rules for every situation. This beatitude says, blessed are the merciful, not blessed are those who know exactly when and how to show mercy in all circumstances. Jesus calls us to possess a spirit of mercy even when we act with the severity in the service of justice. And that's hard. But the cross is hard. The cross is hard. I mean, think about it. The one who in Genesis 1 said, let there be light and let there be living creatures. When his creation rebelled against him in sin. He did not say, let there be forgiveness. He didn't, did he? Because he's a God of justice. But he's also a God of mercy, so what did he do? He sent his son. Mercy cost God his only son. It cost Jesus his life, and forgiveness will cost you as well. And the biggest cost is pride, because when you forgive, you forsake your right to the grudge You forsake your right to prove the person wrong. You forsake your right to win. But if you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, you've got to be about saying, God, it's your will, not mine. In Matthew 5, 7, church family, God is not asking me to show mercy to my offenders because they deserve mercy. He's asking me, he's telling me to show mercy because through Jesus, he's given me his mercy and I don't deserve it. And you know how you can know when you are being released from the anger and the paralysis of the past? Uh, well, can you begin to think about the offender without anger or vengeance? Yeah. Can you genuinely pray for God's blessing in that person's life? Can you talk about the situation without speaking badly of the person? Can you feel compassion even if it's in tears? Can you? I want you to watch this. This is a picture of what I'm talking about. You will never have to forgive anyone else more than God has already forgiven you. I know when I see this video behind me in the communion table before me, I'm not the one holding the cards. I'm the one on the other side of the glass. I'm the one whom Jesus says, Father, forgive him. Show Randy mercy. He didn't know what he was doing. And after saying that, Jesus takes my place behind the glass. He takes my place on the cross. God is just. My disobedience and sin must be dealt with. And God is merciful. God loves me. And he offers to be my substitute. So the cross is the place where the mercy of God and the justice of God meet and collide in the life and suffering and death of the Son of God. And so blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy.